Hey gang, this is Zach. I just wanted to hop on real quick before the episode to thank you all for your patience as we took an unannounced hiatus. We had a pretty crazy spring, but summer is here and we are ready to hit the ground running. We have a lot of great episodes lined up for you all. Next week, we have Dr. Christina Hodell, if you remember us mentioning her from our Powerful Girls episode. We had a great conversation with her yesterday about powerful tween girls in Disney sitcoms, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. I had a lot of fun, and that'll be coming next week. So um, again, thank you all. We are back. We will be going to a every other week schedule, um, just with Jessica and I's other life commitments. That is what is realistic for us to be able to do and continue to keep a regular schedule and it should improve the quality of the episodes as well um so thank you all for your patience again and enjoy the episode hey there gang jessica coming to you at the top of the episode to speak to our live studio audience three quick points for you Number one, Zach and I wanted to say we absolutely stand with the Writers Guild of America as they continue with their strike. Without you all, what will we have to talk about every single week? So we really hope you get everything you're asking for so we don't have to relive 2007 all over again. Number two, this is our Mother's Day episode. So I want to wish a great big Mother's Day to all of our moms out there. And for everyone else who was raised by a TV mom, this is their episode. So this is our ode to a few of the TV mother greats. And lastly, if you could like, share, subscribe, do all of the good things, that really helps us and really kind of makes our day. This is a podcast endeavor for which we make zero dollars so our only payment is your kind words and we truly do appreciate them all right enjoy the show so in the orchids and gumbo poker club by magnolia praline they have an introduction by a fictional english professor with like a fictional history of like the cultural history of this book and then Some quotes. Uh, The flowery passages are an extension of the subtext of feminine mystique represented in the archetypes themselves, wrote Professor C. Alot in her new book, A Feminist Reading of the Orchids and Gumbo Poker Club. Um, Then yada, yada, yada. In the professor's view, this novella, through its young protagonist, provides a pattern of one's relationship to the world as a Jungian extension of the subconscious dream realm. In fucking... Who is this for? Who is this for? God bless this ghostwriter. Well, Jessica and Zach, from the day they were born, they started watching comedy because it was on. She was a golden girl. He had Seinfeld on the brain. They said a nine-year-old Frasier fan might just be insane. Harry and the Hendersons, Mindy and Mork Now Jessica and Zach get together and talk They'll never say the sitcom's glory days are gone They'll still watch it because it was on 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 Is it too early to set up a Patreon? And they'll call it because it was on because it was on. 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 Because it was on
It's Thanksgiving Day. Who in the heck could be ringing my doorbell? Hey, it's me. My new wife, Carol Ann, accidentally put the turkey in the boys' gin bags, roasted their basketballs to 350 for six hours. So our Thanksgiving is ruined, and our home is uninhabitable until the fumes clear out. So I thought, hey, let's all go down to Stacy's house and celebrate the day as a family. Truck, I am almost certain our divorce papers had a clause against gathering and breaking bread of any kind. You always forget, Stacy. Those restraining orders expire, honey. It's Thanksgiving, and I thought we should all be together. Oh, fine. Come on in. We were just sitting down. Thanks so much for taking us in. You know I'm mostly here for the leftovers anyhow. You already have Carol Ann. You didn't need to bother coming all the way down here. Very funny, ha-ha. Now let's all dig in. Can I carve the turkey? Stacy? Stacy, is that you? Focus on me, baby. I see you coming back. Stay with me. Truck, what are we doing here? Where am I? The last thing I remember, I was celebrating our divorce papers in the restraining order. I was celebrating with my friends. I was planning on moving to Denver. I don't understand. Is, is this Thanksgiving? Why are you here? You don't have a lot of time for me to explain. The best I can make out is we're in hell, Stacy. You and I are bound to live in each other's reality forever, divorce or not, restraining order or not. I've been having flashes of self-awareness for a while now. So so maybe, maybe whatever they did to my mind is wearing off, or, or maybe it's just crueler if I know I'm stuck. I don't know how it works. All I know is that you've got to focus, Stacy. I don't get it. Why? Why are we in hell? I don't know. For me, it was probably beating the shit out of all those children every week in Taekwondo class. For you, I don't think that bath bomb pyramid scheme you were in did you any favors. It wasn't a pyramid scheme. It was a networking-based business for women entrepreneurs. We don't have time, Stacy. The gods of this universe shit in our souls, and now we are bound together forever. We are so obviously terrible for each other in every way, but we are compelled towards each other, constantly ignoring each other's boundaries and inserting ourselves in each other's lives. My new wife will barge into your home unannounced. No. I will force you to work at my law firm no. so you can have a minimum wage job to support our children. I will buy our children a dog that they fall in love with and insist you keep it at your house even though I know you are allergic. No. no. Oh, God, Truck. Truck, I feel myself slipping. No. no I want to go to Denver, Truck. No, don't let them take me. No, Stacy. I never want to see you again. Stay with me, Stacy. I want to go back to school and learn how to code. No, no, Stacy. Stay with me. We can figure this out. Truck, could you pass the rolls my way? You're hogging them all up just like you used to hog up all the covers. <laughs> Maybe. 
Maybe I wouldn't have needed the covers if your feet weren't so cold. Yeah, my problem was I didn't have the good sense to have cold feet at our wedding. No, no, I can't. I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. I'm getting out of here. Goodbye, Stacy. Goodbye. You just waltzed up into my house on Thanksgiving and are going to leave before you take a bite. When you're right, you're right, Stacy. I meant to say I'll stop hogging up the rolls when you stop buying them with my checks. My money, my rolls, honey. Hello, and welcome to Because It Was On, the fancy film podcast, but for people who like to talk about that episode of Girlfriends, where Joan freaks out after discovering that her blind date Marcus wears a girdle because he has large hips. My name is Jessica, and I have 24 hours to plan a talent show to save the bank from foreclosing on the old folks' home. And I'm Zach, and my boss overheard me say that I have a crush on Daryl from accounting. And now she's blackmailing me to clean her executive bathroom for a week, or she'll tell everybody. Mm, That's a great management move. Well, Zach, in case the listeners haven't guessed it by now, we are talking about single mothers in the sitcom universe. Single moms who work two jobs, who love their kids, but never stop. never stop with gentle hands and the heart of a fighter. Survivors. (laughs) Yeah, in short, we're talking about survivors. A single mom who works too hard, who loves her kids and never stops. If I hadn't sang that theme song 3,000 times this week, easy, easy. I have some kind of brain disorder where like my brain cannot absorb (laughs) lyrics. But even I know it because of the TikTok meme. It's been a jam of mine for a very, very long time. And I got to say, whoever's decision it was to cut down I'm a Survivor to just like three lines for the Reba theme song and then remix it partway through, you should never work in television again. Yeah, it's a bop. It's inspiring, puts a happy face on blatant exploitation. (laughs) Honestly, if you wanted to put the full two minute song in, I would not have skipped it once. It would have been the best part of the show. Obviously, we picked Reba. Did we pick any other shows to watch this week? We did. We also picked uh, Kate and Allie, a show that had, I believe, six seasons, but has been all but forgotten in the sands of time, as well as One Day at a Time, a more recent one. And we were specifically talking about the 2017 series that aired on Netflix. Yeah, I did just as like a victory lap watch some of the original run just to see what the difference was. And it made me finally understand who the fuck Schneider was. (laughs) (laughs) If you watch One Day at a Time and were like, Why is this man there? I have some context that I can provide you later. So stay tuned. Stick around when we do our little overview of each show, which, Zach, should we just do an overview of each show? Yeah. Chronologically, I guess we should start with... We should start with Kate and Allie. Kate and Allie came out in 1984, and it focuses on two 
women who live together are besties. I have to assume this is like a lesbian icon show, like at least for a certain generation. You say that. So I did a little <laughs> bit of research to see what's up there. And interesting little factoid. During the run of this show, especially in the first few seasons, the creators made a very specific point of ending most episodes with Kate and Allie talking to each other right before bed and specifically showing them going into separate bedrooms yeah. to reinforce that they, they're not doing gay shit. The reason that they had to go to those links is this is one of the most functional relationships on, on television, then and since. Yeah, they definitely, if, if this, if those sitcom universe weren't so cruel, they would have ended up together. Kate and Allie, they live together with their children. They are both divorced. Yes. And stars so- Jane Curtin, who you may know from Saturday Night Live or the sitcom that I know her from, Third Rock from the Sun, where she plays Dr. Mary Albright. She has a very like iconic voice. Didn't you see the uh, New York Magazine article about Kate's My Business? No. Oh, then you must have missed the Esquire article. Yeah, I guess I did. It's the waspiest of the wasp voice. Here's what I'm starting to realize, Zach. I think I may have something of a type, which turns (laughs) out to be. So if you'll remember from the Sabrina episode, long, long talk about how I stand Zelda big time. And so what I'm learning is... A middle-aged woman with a blonde bob and a very refined way of speaking in a deeper register turns out to be my favorite thing. Yeah, I think I think you're just into elder wasps. That's my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm into it. Such a tragedy you never saw Gilmore Girls because I feel like Emily Gilmore would change things for you. Nice to see you again. Thanks. Uh, your house is great. It's huge. I've never seen a house this huge before. Well, thank you. So few people bother to notice the hugeness of the house anymore. I don't know. Were they bobbed? Did she have a bob? Was it? She, did. she had a beautiful bob, like yeah. mm, perfectly cut in. And and how deep was the voice? It needs to be somewhere between like Jane Curtin and Theranos. It has a certain feline muscularity to it. Is how I would describe it. <laughs> Was not prepared for that description at all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Listeners, my new goal is to now have my voice described as female muscularity. So (laughs) please write in if you think that's what it is. Find Um, me on TikTok. Gotta start smoking. Yeah. So Kate Nally, my number two love behind Zelda, Jane Curtin, plays Allie, who was a wife and mother. To a man named Charles living in Connecticut, living the, again, like Zach said, ultra wasp life. I believe he was a doctor. Mm-hmm. And he leaves her for another woman. Wendy Malick. Wendy Malick, who looks great as well. Love her. If only the bob was blonde, you know? And so and Wendy Malick goes ahead and steals her man. And so Ali says, you know what? I'm going to get back up on my feet. I'm going to move in with my bestie Kate in New York City. And, you know, we're just going to be two single moms who work too hard and love their kids and never stop. A single mom who works too hard, who loves her kids and never stops. And that's Kate and Allie. Yeah. Just the way these two support each other. They're not, they're not single moms is the thing. They have each other. Takes a village. (laughs) Yeah. Which we're going to talk about. So we have Kate and Allie. Then moving on, we have, of course, Reba. Reba. Iconic. 
So I had no relationship with Kate and Allie until we were doing research for the talk episode. And there was one episode that I watched in preparation for that that didn't make the cut. But and then I fell in love it. with the fell in love with the show. But Reba, or we're talking about Reba, fundamental part of Zach's like DNA. Live for Reba. Live for Reba. First of all, outside of the television show. I just love Reba McIntyre. She's an icon. She is a queen. She is the moment. I'll fight you on this. Nobody does music videos better than Reba fucking McIntyre. Find me one. What? Find me one that beats Does He Love You? Does He Love You? Are we we're talking about Does He Love You where she's coming out in like a full like Lawrence <laughs> of Arabia style. <laughs> she blows eight. up a boat. <laughs> she blows up a boat or are we talking about the night that the lights went out in Georgia where in the middle out of fucking nowhere Reba McIntyre in like old people makeup just lunges <laughs> towards the camera and says that's what they want you to think <laughs> <laughs> it's the drama it's the iconic it's unhinged mm. it's absolutely unhinged behavior it was a yes and set why haven't I heard from you tell me My- why haven't I, I- heard from you and she's like oh it's so good yeah uh, she she never misses with her music videos never misses it's a bullseye every time i love reba very first concert post-covid for me was reba and those were actually tickets sorry to bring it down that was the last christmas present my mom ever gave me it was tickets to reba mcintyre oh i think that makes it nice it's sweet. no I, I was that that's a great um thing. yeah yeah so Reba McIntyre will always have a special place in my heart because of that. And her concert was a total sleigh. This woman has had so many number one hits that she couldn't even put them all in the concert. Like we didn't have time for them. She has had so many motherfucking hits. So it was it was great. It was such a wonderful concert. You want you want to see my my two seconds highly contextual Reba impersonation? Do it. So if you'll remember, there was a moment in time where KFC was having different people be Colonel Sanders for a while. And Reba was one of the Colonel Sanders. And in the commercial, she'd go, I'm Colonel Sanders. And that's my Reba impression. (laughs) That's so good. I'm Colonel Sanders. Reba has her own school of acting that is like the don't thing. It's like it's not method <laughs> acting. It's not she's she has a vision. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing about it is like there's a lot of wild swings that are taken in her line delivery. And sometimes it's cringy, but sometimes it is. Every once in a while she will get a dunk on Barbara Jean and you're like, oh shit. It's like we're blowing up boats again, Reba. In the pilot, she she's like she was whipping out tears. She was like <laughs> fully like crying. I was like, oh shit, because it had been a while since I had seen uh, Reba. And I was like, was Reba a good actor? <laughs> she's just like crying in the in the pilot of all things. But then like in the very next episode, I watched. She was just doing like Kirsten wig elbows. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of that. And a lot of like purse lipped, big eye moment. Yeah, yeah. That's like a how she's communicating most of her emotion. She had God, the I very like early two thousands like 
flip out cut we're cutting it short and we're flipping out the ends she was highly highly invested in like the matching turtleneck and cardigan situation they bought every single one that carson perry scott had to offer for the wardrobe of the reboot television show that was pretty much it that was her her solid dedicated wardrobe she might Uh, be like literally just the greatest artist of the age i'm just gonna throw that out there the artistic vision is on point. She's the queen of queens. We love Reba. We stan Reba. The television show is great. And honestly, Zach, I don't understand how you have a show starring one Miss Reba McIntyre, where in the pilot episode, her husband says, I'm leaving with you because I got another woman pregnant. And then they have the audacity to try to like leave this character in the show as someone that we should like care about or like want to know in any way shape or form because i'm gonna throw it out here early i'm gonna come back to it but i'm gonna throw it out here earlier i want this man dead i i want this man dead okay so we're doing this now i want (laughs) i want him burned to the ground i want him to be ashes i want him to be drawn and quartered i want him to be fed to sharks i want him to be struck by lightning over and over and over again in the field every single second i want someone to just cut his face and peel off all of his skin i want him dead i hate him like there's like darren in bewitched there's ross in friends okay we do not care for these characters. They're bad characters. But I viscerally Hail in hate, comparison. Hail in Brock. comparison. Brock, Brock is literally Satan. <laughs> you are going to get zero pushback from me. I think I have in my notes, and I, I, I mentioned it while watching this. I'm watching the show, and I was like, I don't know if I've ever wanted a sitcom character dead. Like, I want him <laughs> fully dead. I hate him. I hate him. We're going to talk so much more about all of the reasons that I hate him, but know up front that I hate him. So here's the setup for Reba is this motherfucker, Brock, this dickalope, married to, remind you again, the greatest artist of our age, Reba McIntyre, married to her. In the show, she's just, you know, Reba, wife and mother situation, and he's a dentist. And uh, he's been running around on Reba with Barbara Jean who is a huge part of the show. Uh, Barbara Jean gets pregnant. And for some fucking reason, Brock has like four kids with Reba. But he's like, I have to marry Barbara Jean because I got her pregnant. And that's the that's the right thing to do. Even though he got Reba pregnant four fucking times. So this logic makes no sense to me. And it is not the first time that I've heard this logic on TV. Like I said, like... I got her pregnant. I think in um, Why Women Kill, they use the same logic of, oh, I got my mistress pregnant. Therefore, I have to leave my wife. But like, what? (laughs) So like, okay, let's let's live in the world where that happens. And if you and your wife don't have any kids, maybe, maybe. But you have four children with this woman. Does that not make you four times more responsible to stay with her? I don't understand. What social ethical math are you doing in your head, Brock? <laughs> I mean, he clearly just wants to marry Barbara Jean. <laughs> right, right. Just fucking say that, Brock. Just fucking say that, Brock. So Brock decides that he did the math 
and said she's pregnant have to marry her uh and leaves reba and so now uh reba is a single mom who works too hard loves her kids and never stops a single mom who works too hard who loves her kids and never stops and brock and barbara jean do not give this woman a moment of peace sitcoms are hell if you couldn't tell by our intro, which was so just... strongly modeled after Reba, because <laughs> they will not give this woman a moment. They do we ever see the inside of their house, <laughs> like Barbara Jean and Brock's house? We no, it's just they are always at Reba's fucking house for no goddamn reason. For no goddamn <laughs> reason, literally uh, none. Yeah, just I walk do... in. They just fucking walk in. I want to make sure this is known. To the public, uh, and I don't know where else in the show it, it has to go, so I'm doing it here. Uh, do you know what the Mandela effect is, Jessica? I do know what the Mandela effect is, but why don't you go ahead and tell our dear listeners? Okay, the Mandela effect is um, a conspiracy theory favored by people who refuse to admit they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> where um, Best explanation I've heard of this ever. Yeah, so it's just this idea that like you, you're shifting realities constantly. And sometimes you end up in a reality where details are just slightly different. Uh, for example, I think one of the famous ones they say is the spelling of Bearstein Bears. Yeah. Um, is people just like insist that they know for a goddamn fact that it was spelled one way when it was actually the other. Um, named after people swearing that they remembered that Nelson Mandela died in prison. Right. Um, so that, that's what the conspiracy theory is. Um, I am a deep believer in it because I swear to God, if you were to ask me before I sat down to rewatch this show, I would have swore on a stack of Bibles that in later seasons, Brock left Barbara Jean and came out as gay. And what? I swear, I never watched an episode of it. I don't have like a clear vision of it, but I just so remember like, yeah, that's a fact about Reba. I didn't watch the later seasons, but Brock came out as gay. It didn't happen, but God, I was floored, fucking floored. I, I don't, I, this may be a moment where you're confusing like early 2000s live journal fan fiction for Reba McIntyre <laughs> <laughs> with actual what? plots from the show. Okay, well, actually, thank you for bringing that up, Jessica, because <laughs> I got very deep into the Google uh, search results for <laughs> Reba Brock Gay. <laughs> and so I will say that for Reba Barbara Jean slash Vic, uh, there's not a lot of it, but the number is also not zero. So <laughs> that was what I, I was doing on my Saturday night. That sounds right. I mean, there's going to be enough people out there who want that, I think. Talk to me when it's Kate and Allie. Okay. So uh, I hope you enjoyed that cul-de-sac. And <laughs> where are we? We were talking about, we were giving the folks what they wanted, which was a like 14 minute tour of Reba. Reba content. Yeah. So our <laughs> next show is One Day at a Time, which is a reboot of 1975's One Day at a Time. This is it. This is life. The one you get to go and have a ball. Yes. Very different shows. I don't know why they bothered calling it one day at a time. <laughs> <laughs> it's your life.
that's the theme song for one day at a time yes so it's a cuban-american family who it's a single mother lupe and she is living with her mother who's played by rita moreno who we love um and she uh, rita moreno's character is lydia and she has two kids alex and elena and they have a downstairs neighbor schneider who hangs out a lot and it's all about uh lupe basically just trying to do it all right be a single mom and deal with her own issues deal with her crazy mom and raise these two kids in a very difficult sort of um dealing with the challenges of the time and you'll note uh, the show came out in 2017. And I think this show is very much like a piece designed to talk to what was going on in the broader culture, especially for Latinos living in the U.S. And so it was designed very much, I think, to talk a little bit about sort of that Latino experience, um, the immigrant experience, and also very much be like a conversation back to the Trumpism and the MAGA moment that was happening in the broader culture. One Day at a Time very much is like a teaching show. Every single Mm -hmm. episode of One Day at a Time is very much trying to teach you something, tell you a lesson and connect it back to what's happening in the broader culture at that moment in time. Yeah. You don't even, you don't see this on television that much anymore of just having a very clear, like, like a little bit, like maybe 10% PSA of just, hey, uh, if you have depression, there is no shame in taking medication for it. Yeah. And um, just, you know. It's a sitcom with a very clear, in my view, political message, Hmm. which I think it's partially what led it to be kind of a short-lived season, aside from Netflix just like cancels everything. Um, And this is not to be like, it was political, so they canceled it to the press the views. Like, that's not (laughs) what I'm saying. Um, What I am saying is that like, a show like that can be really hard to watch where like every single episode is trying to like confront something in a world where we're already like living in a hellscape. So <laughs> made it a little difficult to watch episode after episode. Yeah. I didn't hate it. It wasn't bad. No, um, I, I, I'm, that's not what I'm saying either. Yeah. yeah. But I get what, I get what you're saying because I feel like sort of person that would be interested in this show is the person that already has a lot of the opinions they were selling. And yeah, so, so you didn't need to take little... that time to teach me yeah. because it's like, yeah, dude, like I'm I'm already down with the gay shit. You don't gotta, <laughs> we don't gotta have that same lesson over and over. I'm down with the gay shit. I'm down with like destigmatizing mental illness. And like I'm your core audience. So you don't have to reteach me these things. Um, which again, it's partially like why I didn't. Like why I don't think it lasted that long because it just like those aspects to me felt a little tedious to be honest. But like th- that's not to detract from the cast who I thought were all incredibly charming and did an excellent job. Yeah, the grandmother fucking loved Rita, it. Rita Moreno, she's yeah. she's a stunner. It was really satisfying, making me feel very smug that I was understanding because um, she does a lot of like bilingual jokes and oh, it scratched a part of my brain when I was able to get them. So I screamed and I kicked them in the balls. <laughs> Dang, mommy don't play. <laughs> I see right in the awakates. 
It's like, oh yeah, fuck yeah. High school Spanish served mm-hmm. me well. So those are our three shows. Um, when we watched them, what sort of what sort of themes did you notice? Yeah, I think there are three themes that we really want to talk about when it comes to discussing single motherhood in sitcoms. And one is just understanding the path to single motherhood and what that's really saying about our culture more broadly, especially since we have kind of three snapshots in time of our different single mother sitcoms. And then the economics of single motherhood. So how how are our mothers dealing with this reality from an economic or social perspective? And then lastly, the idea of sort of the uber mom or the expectations of motherhood that exist always, right? But now you add that extra layer of complexity around being a single mother and having to, to deal with that and still meet the expectations of motherhood. How do our sitcoms talk back to that? And and what are they trying to say about the role of motherhood, especially single motherhood? So those were the three things that I picked up on. And so I'm really interested in let's start up top with just how these women become single mothers. What did you pick out from our shows? So this is interesting to me because there are also a lot of single father shows mm. and the most common reason that a single father becomes a single father is because wife She's dies. Dead. Yeah, she she did. It's just the only way the public would accept it, I guess, that a mother would not be with their children. But with all of these shows, it is divorce mm-hmm. that is the reason. Not there are other shows. I think if you want to like contextualize it, that have it where like Murphy Brown, she was she was not divorced she was just a single mother got pregnant decided to have a kid got in a fight with dan quayle over that (laughs) (laughs) um in media earlier it was often like single mothers were like these victims of like tragedy or like yeah they were like thrown out by like abusive men that sort of situation mildred pierce her husband was a real piece of shit she was just doing her best and so with these they were all divorced is mm-hmm. the reason. Yeah, they were all divorced. So I think when you look at Kate and Allie and Reba, and then you compare it to one day at a time, I think what you get is a essentially a difference in the eras. And what I mean more by that is what are the acceptable reasons for a woman to be divorced and to be a single mother. In Kate and Allie, and then again in Reba, we see infidelity as the core reason for these women to be divorced. And not infidelity on the woman's part, infidelity on the man's part. And very much a trope, right, of being left for the younger, more attractive woman. And... Both of the shows kind of pay lip service, like the marriage being dead long before the affair, which I think is just like a reason for us to not hate the husbands that we, for whatever fucking reason, have to see all the time in these shows. But I think with Kate and Allie and Reba, it's more just like at that time and at that era, this was like the easiest, least objectionable way to give a reason for why these women would be divorced. It was not their fault. They didn't choose this. They did nothing wrong. Their husbands just cheated on them. And they could have possibly have said like, oh, he hit them, right? But then that makes it a lot harder to have those characters show up. And these shows love to have the ex there because 
uh, makes great conflict for television in very easy plots. So what is a way that like allows us to keep this deadbeat hanging around and not hate him too much while also make our heroines victims, right? And not necessarily guilty of anything with the end of their marriage because divorce was still relatively objectionable uh, at this time period and not all that common on television. And even when it comes to Reba, right? A largely more conservative base who she had to play to. But then when you get to one day at a time, they didn't get divorced because of infidelity. They got divorced because they were not good for each other. And the the husband was dealing with addiction issues. And he was not in a place where he could be a healthy and good father. Both in one day at a time, both the, the parents um, are veterans. And we see her ex-husband, Lupe's ex-husband, dealing with PTSD, dealing with that trauma and struggling with addiction. So it's very clear throughout the show that like these demons are not his fault, right? And he's not bad simply because he has addiction, but because he is dealing with these things, he cannot make a good husband and a good father. And it's actually really agonizing to watch because you can see all of the ways that these two characters are good for each other and how he is a good dad and how she has to make the very difficult decision of recognizing the toxicity of the situation and stepping away. Right. And one of the episodes that we watched, it's clear they do love each other and they do want to be together, but it was just like she made the decision of what would be best for her and her family, uh, her kids. And because of the situation that did not include him being in the picture. One thing I, w- I will say, um, cause I feel like it's been unspoken so far. It, at being divorced and having kids together, it is sort of like a real world sitcom situation as far as like being compelled to deal with a person that you fucking hate. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that is, that's not necessarily like this wacky, unrealistic thing. People have to do that shit all the time. So. Yeah. But I mean, my experience of it uh, and my parents were, were together, but like my two sisters are my stepsisters because both my parents have exes in the situation my experience of it was much more like we are doing like child exchanges in a mcdonald's parking lot yeah for real that's you don't like just barge into your ex-wife's house and start making the sandwich yeah she's not working at your dentist office your new wife is not their nanny you're not catering the new wife's birthday party i'm sure those types of families exist and if you're cool with your ex awesome what i'm saying is this is not the norm the norm is child exchanges in a mcdonald's parking lot and like reba and brock do not like each other it's just so strange in my experience uh the reba barbara jean relationship is not necessarily that far-fetched either if i'm being honest because i have a lot of memories of women in that position actually having to be the diplomats like being forced into this role simply because the man is incapable of acting like an adult and like actual things need to happen but you know those things are fair i think it's just the level of like core engagement in the day-to-day life yeah 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 (laughs) that is outside it is the moving next door reba has she has five kids she has Barbara Jean, she has, and then she has the rest <laughs> of her kids. Like, Barbara Jean's just in the mix. Yes, yes. 
she needs constant supervision, constant observation. So uh, as far as what you're saying about one day at a time, I do think that that is an important way of distinguishing them of it's pretty tropey for the reason that the marriage failed is because uh, the man cheated uh, happens all the fucking time. But uh, that's usually what they lean on because it's palatable. I think like in TV language at this point, it's just a quick way of like setting the scene. You know, Right. Right. Uh, And like, it plays on the cultural expectation of like, we kind of expect men to cheat. So it's like, how mad can you be Adam? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You divorce him. But like, how mad can you be? This is what men do. He's a man. Um, (laughs) So one day at a time was empathetic to both parties, which I think is interesting. Her ex-husband is not irredeemable. He's going through his own journey, but she just has decided, yeah, your journey is your own. Sorry. I I have kids to raise. I have dreams for myself that I want to do. And I think that that's a very positive inclusion in this this, uh, genre of single mom shows. Yeah. You can see it's an agonizing decision for her. It's not something she wants to do. She has to make that very difficult choice. But yeah, I think it just represents more of a shift in the television landscape of like how we deal with the complexities of marital relationships and like having I think there's a huge thing here where like Lupe is the one who decided that this isn't working and I need to choose something else for me and my family and I'm leaving whereas in Kate Nally and in Reba both of those women would have been married to those men till they till death do them part Uh, it was not their choice And one day at a time, it was her choice. I feel like, though, like, let's rewrite the script and say that one day at a time had Victor, I think his name was, Victor leaving Lupe Mm -hmm. because he was in love with another woman and left her. I think one day at a time would deal with that. Oh, one day at a time for sure would. Yeah. Uh, So what I'm saying, like, it's part of the same genre. Like, I would squarely say one day at a time is a sitcom. It's a teaching sitcom. And it's, it's all, like, very special episode moments but my point being like reba and kate nally did not deal with this i think more by choice although i would argue kate nally kind of does like they routinely speak about how when ali got divorced she laid in bed for months like they show ali regularly suffering from depression and like dealing with the trauma of being left i think it's mostly reba where like three episodes later, she's just like kikiing with Barbara Jean. Yeah, Reba, I think is the one that she hasn't dealt with her trauma. Reba's like, either I'm over it or I am going to bottle this up so tightly. I'm going to channel it all into my music career. Do we have anything to add about how they got here? It got to being a single mother? No, I, I really just wanted to make the distinction of like, right. It, it was not Kate, or I'm sorry, it was not Ali or Reba's choice. It was very much Lupe's choice. And I think that, highlights the changing views of like the role of women in marriages, women's expectation in marriages, and also the view of divorce in the broader society. Yeah. And the grandmother like uh, sort of plays the part of the old way because she is constantly like harassing her to get back with her ex-husband, like fix them up and encourage them. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then she has to come to her own realization When she realizes like, oh, he was lying the whole time about being or or purposefully misleading Lupe this whole time around where he is in his recovering journey. Yeah. Yeah. And then she eventually says, you have to go. 
I am telling you, he is back to how he used to be. I know he says he's sober, which is great. But he needs to get actual help, or the drinking and the pills could start all over again. Plus, he's not even dealing with his PTS. Oh, but he looks so healthy. His skin is glowing. Hashtag no filter. Lidia. Lidia, háblale, por favor. Huh? No, Victor. Go. Saying I'm not your ally anymore. Huge. Huge. So... You mentioned what I thought was interesting, like when you were talking about they're not dealing with their trauma, you mentioned like, oh, this is this person you love now leaving you and then treating you like a financial hardship. And I want to dig into that with our next theme that we picked up on with single moms, which was the economics of being a single mother in these shows. Yeah, I think all of them, to a certain extent, very clearly have like sitcom style real estate <laughs> situations happening <laughs> one day at a time is the most realistic but uh it's still a fucking beautiful house yeah one day at a time they're definitely in an apartment it's a condo situation they definitely have sitcom real estate going on because both kate and ally as well as reba live in like gorgeous homes i feel like kate and ally it's the most egregious one they do say that it's a rental they don't own this home but it is like mm-hmm. a it's a house it's not an apartment it's a house full ass house in greenwich village in new york city yeah. these two women who are regularly shown throughout the course of this series to like not have stable careers what are they how are they doing this how are they doing this it's just sitcom new york sitcom logic baby. But like, I do think that that is an interesting part of this discussion around economics, because especially in Reba and Kate and Allie, they often pay lip service to we need money, we need to find a job, mm-hmm. but they never show any sort of real material reality around that. Everything about them is still coded very much as middle class and upper middle class. We know in real life that single mothers face this type of hardship. And so therefore we need to have our characters talk about it, but it doesn't feel like in either Kate and Allie or Reba that there are any true material consequences. So I think you just sort of have to acknowledge first that this is sitcom world. And so they do not necessarily want to show you realistic images of like people that are struggling financially they do have sponsors and there is sort of like this we're selling uh, you an image yeah sponsors do not necessarily want to have their products associated with like a roseanne style show all the time so roseanne was wildly successful and had sponsors well yeah i understand that it's just that's not there's always going to be like this thumb on the scale towards not showing that for financial reasons totally yes and i mean it explains why like 80 5% 5% of Kate and Allie's plots have nothing fucking to do with anything like related to, to any of the hardships of like single parenthood. Yeah. It is like, it is the most filler episode episode lineup <laughs> of a television show I have ever read in my life. This is the first time that you were watching Kate and Allie, right? Yes, sir. Yes, How do you sir. like it? I was trying to sell it to you for the teen um, sex and you weren't having it. I think it was just hard to find. But then once I found the playlists, people got those episodes tucked up in the playlists. How did I like it? I love I love Jane Curtin. We've established this. I see why this television show didn't like stick to the broader cultural 
memory that we've decided of what to hang on to and what to lose. I get it. Um, very snappy dialogue, but not very. It's just, like I said, the plots are just, they're too, it's too airy. The plots are too airy. There's not enough moments to stick to your ribs. Like all of the plots are like, well, I'm getting my appendix out and you're getting a kidney stone and we have to share the same hospital room. Like the, those are the plots of this show. Like there's not, there's nothing that's sticking, nothing that's sticking. So it's not like it's bad. It lasted six seasons. And again, my queen is on it. But I get it. I get why it's not like a top top tier. All right, fair enough, fair enough. I stand Kate and Allie. It's not bad. It's like a proto Gilmore Girls in a way of I get where you're coming from. They they talk very quickly and there is this almost like um like off Broadway play sort of like quality (laughs) to the dialogue, if you know what I mean. I'll play some clips of like the vibe I'm talking about where it's just it's a it's very cute. He should move the rook to protect his queen's knight. Which one is that, the horse of the tower? Oh, I forgot, you don't play chess. You should let me teach you, it's a lot of fun. I'm not very good at games. I'm better at lunch and a movie. Besides, I'll leave chess to the brains. Come on, your IQ is not exactly at the bottom of the evolutionary scale, you know. How would you know? Because when I worked in the high school office for extra credit, I looked at everybody's files. You sneak. So who was higher? It's not a contest. I know that. Who was higher? It doesn't really mean anything. Okay, okay. Who was higher? You would be good at chess. I was higher. Of course, you wouldn't beat me. You were higher? I've practiced. I was higher? I think we'd tie a lot. You were higher. I don't know. The, the writers often valid cute over, like, traditional punchlines. But, yeah. No, I like, I get why they wouldn't display the material reality. But what I will say is that when it comes to these shows and the idea of sort of the economic class class structure or class level or however you want to put it so okay we don't want to show the the material realities of what it's like you know what your your home situation would actually look like or how it would change fine we don't want to change the trappings of middle classness but what was interesting is when these women are job hunting and what you ultimately get with both Reba and I think Kate and Allie is that as you are job hunting, there's an unwritten sort of silent part of their job hunting where both of them experience this. I'm not able to find a job. And the silent part is at their class station. Yep. And is- I think that's the part where it's like the sort of that's the button on what we're talking about here. Very true. So Kate and Allie, they do an episode. I think it's very interesting. I wanted to take some time to talk about comparing Reba and the plot line where she has to work for her ex-husband and Kate and Allie, where the same sort of plot happens, because that's interesting. But okay, so um, in Kate and Allie, she has to, they're really struggling in this episode. They keep talking about the finances and they don't have any money. And then her ex-husband says, hey, we've been trying to get a caterer for my anniversary with my current wife. Can you please cater it? Because I don't want to pay the money that other people are charging. Will you charge me less to cater the anniversary? The audacity. Charles, you have... I have never... Wait a minute. Don't move. Don't move! Hi, Mrs. Bernstein, Allie Lowell downstairs. Yeah, listen, I was wondering, what is the word for nerve that starts with a 
Sally, you're unemployed. Why don't you hire a caterer like everyone else in Connecticut? Well, I intended to, but they want $1,000 for 12 people. Oh, and you thought good old Allie would do it for nothing. That's and... very much the implication. He was not coming to her and going, please, 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 Allie, please. I know I was the worst thing that ever happened to you, and I ruined your life, and seeing me brings up mounds of trauma for you. It was more like, Allie, I couldn't find a caterer. You'll do it, <laughs> won't you, dear? And, of course, she has to because um, she was she's divorced from this man and raising his children and is in financial hardship due to that fact and so she has to cater this man's anniversary for the woman he left her for it is wild yeah so first she's like all right i'll cook the food but i won't go i'll have you go and you do the actual serving but i'll just cook the food at home but then it gets situational yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Sitcom itis kicks in, and through an escalating series of Wally Who's, she has to go back to her old home. But, but Zach, don't worry, because she's, now just she's gonna the be, help. She's going to be in the kitchen the whole time. Yeah. So don't worry. We're not going to actually see her like having to serve her old friends and family. She'll just be in the kitchen doing her cooking thing. It's fine. Kate's going to serve everybody. So it's fine. Well, uh, I got an update for you, Jessica. A new sitcom Wally who just came in and uh, her partner has slipped on some lettuce and uh, broke her ankle. And so she has to go in and serve hors d'oeuvres to her old friends and enemies. Oh, how uh, humiliating. Literally hell. (laughs) (laughs) Like you just imagine last week you were at the tennis club with the Joneses. And then all of a sudden, husband decides he wants to bang Wendy Malik, and now you are serving them anchovy pork balls. Do you think it was a prenup situation or what? Oh, mm, okay. So, uh, I mean, for many, many years, like divorce laws were very unfavorable to women. I wouldn't be surprised if Allie fell into that camp. Yeah, she clearly got nothing in that divorce. And so she is humiliated and has to do this. Humiliating herself for $150, I think, is what they their profit was. I don't know what that is in inflation, but not enough to do that. Not enough to do that. So, yes, I think like the point there is the humiliation and exploitation that exists for these women. And Reba goes through something similar. We'll talk more about it. But there's so much in that episode that... Um, yeah. So um, one thing I'll say about Kate and Allie, they put a positive spin on it eventually because she just like starts lying to her friends and like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my staff has um, called out. And so I didn't want to leave anyone hanging. <laughs> or, or, yeah. She gets so kind of, and she like puts on all these airs that she's like serving sultans and like the president and senators and stuff, and that she's like has a very thriving elite catering business uh, yeah. for fancy parties. So, <laughs> yeah, that's basically what it was of just oh yeah. oh you're a caterer now. And she's like yes, but I do fancy parties. Yes. And then everyone's like oh. Well, um, normally I-, I wouldn't come here myself. My um staff would normally do that but uh once i realized how overbooked we were what with senator moynihan's party and the uh <laughs> reception ellen the waldorf the same night Did you catered all those too <laughs> oh yes well Allie's become quite the chic caterers in new york which like is a thing that they abandoned like four episodes later they're like oh we're gonna have them be a caterers now 
and then it's gone for some reason they're like can't do that job anymore ali's got to get an art history degree we can't be doing catering anymore yeah someone called her out our bullshit about the sultan (laughs) (laughs) and that can only go on for so long somebody who's seen it tell us why they stopped catering it's it's clearly like this this exploitation of what is an actual economic reality for a lot of women of this era. It's a very sort of second wave feminism calling card of what happens is women, you know, or women of the era would maybe start college and then leave it because they were going to get married and they'd get married to a man and they would support that man while he finished school. And he got his degree and he got his professional degrees and he was building his career and they were at home building a family, having children, raising the children, working at home. These are decades out of the labor market, decades serving these men and being dependent on these men. And then one day, because the dental hygienist was looking a little too good, he got her pregnant. And now all of the sudden... These women who dedicated their lives to being in this position of supporting these men gave up their their career, gave up their years of experience in the labor market, are now then left hanging to figure out what the fuck they're going to do. And we definitely see both Kate and Allie and Reba all dealing with the reality of, oh shit, now we got to figure out our own careers And why I say it's like a very second wave feminism thing is by the time you get to one day at a time, she has her own career. Mm -hmm. And I think the message, there was a very specific message that Allie said in the graduation episode. She graduated from college. She was having kind of a hard time finding a job. Um, Somebody's consoling her. And she said, college is something that women leave to get married and something they have to go back to when they get divorced. And I think that's like a very good summation of what happened uh, to that era of women and a message that women from the next era who saw their mothers go through this the lupes of the world saw took to heart noted and she has her own career she's a nurse going to be a nurse practitioner and so she's a little more shielded from being thrust into the economic realities of like in the labor market with zero skills Not saying Lupe is not struggling, not saying there's not economic hardship happening in the one day at a time household. There is. And she is trying to do things to better herself because she does have that added responsibility. But I do think it's a very different era and a very different picture in time of what was happening with divorced women. Yeah. To emphasize what you said, these are women that essentially made a deal when they got married that I will perform the labor of maintaining this house and raising these children and taking care of all those day-to-day economics. Um, That will be my 24-7 job that I never clock out of even once. And so I will take care of your children in your house for you. And that's sort of like the deal. But the ouch that the the man has in these uh, situations is that he can just be like, okay, I don't want to do that anymore. And then the woman still has to do all of that labor. She is just no longer in any way being compensated for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not only not being compensated for it, actively penalized for it when she enters the labor market, because all of the things that the labor market values, she has been, she has given up on. Right. And the structure that's been created to determine who has the skills to have what position blatantly ignores the work of a like the work of a stay at home mother 
And therefore, you're entering the labor market at a zero. I got so angry at the Reba interview scene where she's trying to go in for a white collar job. Oh my um, God. We should, let's just talk about this whole episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Reba suddenly is having financial troubles. It's out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is season two, episode three. Proud Reba. Yeah. And Reba, very much like you said, she's going in for a white collar job, which with no formal work experience is probably a reach. But especially since she doesn't seem to, he asks her what, this is hilarious. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I've talked on the show before about how sitcom writers don't know technology. It is so funny to me that when they're doing the job interview and they want to emphasize that she's not tech savvy, what they have to reach down to for like the job interview question is what search engine do you prefer? (laughs) (laughs) Because these sitcom writers don't know what the fuck either. They have as many job skills as Reba. Literally. (laughs) Reba doesn't know what Google is. Um, I'm assuming you're internet proficient. Which search engine do you prefer? Uh, the little one that could. So, That's what we're told. Yeah, it is interesting that she is, like, I guess aspiring to have a career that's equivalent to her class place when she was married to Brock. I think mm-hmm. it's a pretty good observation. Yeah, But I, in that scene, I got so angry. And it's not really, this is the reality. Uh, I'm not any particular person, but Reba took care of all those children for decades. She maintained a household, which is not, that is a job. That is a, when you have four children. Yeah, it's invisible work. It's work that we do. We like to pretend is not work. And then just in a very realistic way, it happens to many people. We learned that despite it being the most vital, fundamental staple of our civilization, raising children in the economy, it is considered to be worthless. Yeah, because the, the economy was built by men. Yeah. The person interviewing her is a man. But what's funny about that is the way the way that they resolve that conversation with the boss is like such a boomer fantasy. It is so <laughs> unreal. So what Reba decides to do, which she takes a whole deviation around food stamps, which we will be talking about. But after that, she decides, you know what? I'm just going to march into that office and demand the job I deserve boomer boomer so then she walks up into that office and she demands the job that she deserves and she gets it look mr lewis i think we have a difference of opinion you look at me and see a soccer mom that drives a gold volvo wagon but i think a mom is exactly what you need i spend each and every day with a house full of demanding customers and i ain't lost one yet he's busy (laughs) she gets the job that she deserves in this huge like boomer fantasy moment of exactly that you just you got to have gumption and you got to have a go get them attitude and you can't let them take no for an answer but then at the last second she gets she gets the job position revoked because she essentially uh, fraudulently parked in a handicapped parking space and so it gets revoked from her but 
I just wanted to call out like how that conversation is resolved. Such a fantasy, such a boomer fantasy. What you got to do is you just got to walk into the headquarters of IBM and just start sweeping floors. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get a job. Such a fantasy. <laughs> um, but okay. So keeping in the theme of that episode, I'd like to talk about what is happening between these job interviews. So Reba, yes, she's trying to find a job at her class station. This is important for both both Allie and Reba. They're in the labor market with no skills because they've been fucked over by their piece of shit husbands. And now they're in the labor market looking for jobs that they deem suitable for them. And while that's happening, Cheyenne and Van, these are Reba. It's Cheyenne is Reba's daughter. Van is Reba's daughter's husband. uh, teen, Teen parents. They very reasonably, in my view of things, apply for food stamps. And they get on food stamps because what are they? What are the facts of the situation? The facts of the situation is that they are 17 years old. They have a daughter. They live with their mother who is unemployed and is bringing in $0 in income. Cheyenne and Van are students bringing in $0 in income and therefore qualify for food stamps and very reasonably buy them so that they can feed their daughter mm-hmm. and reba loses her god damn mind about it now you listen to me i don't need aid i don't want aid oh i know your type all your life you've looked down on those who need help and now that you're one of them you can't admit it i'm not one of them i am getting a job oh you have a job lined up no not not exactly, but I want one. <laughs> oh, I see. You're the one who wants a job. Yeah. Hey, everybody! <laughs> this is the woman who wants a job! The people who are abusing the system is everybody else. They're the bad ones. I'm just the one who needs a little bit of help, and I'm good, and I'm righteous, and like I'm all of those virtuous things. It's everybody else who's the problem. And so I actually think this episode is walking that line very carefully because here's what happens. It walks the line and here's what happens in that episode. So Van and Cheyenne are on food stamps and Reba says, well, hell, hey, 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 th- those are for people who really need help. We don't need help. We're fine. Because again, they've lived their entire class life as middle class and therefore virtuous and good and hardworking. And now that the thing that made the middle class has been removed from their life, Reba still views herself this way and therefore objects to the idea of welfare, the idea of a handout. We're not like those people who need that. And so then she walks into the office to get Cheyenne and Van off of food stamps. And she has an exchange with the woman at the welfare office. The woman essentially like tells Reba to get off her high horse and is like, actually, you need this shit too. What are you talking about? Where's your income? How many kids do you have to feed? Okay. So then why are you so morally superior here? You clearly also need help. And they repeat over and over and over again in that exchange that like assistance is not in and of itself terribly bad. There are people who need it. There are people who need help and they should have it. It's these other people who are taking advantage of it, that should not have it. And Reba says, I don't want to be the person taking advantage of it. I don't need it. And all those other people who take advantage of it, they're bad. But there are some good ones. There are some good ones too. And so they have, they walk this very 
clear line. But then it only gets more fucked up from here, folks, because as soon as Reba goes on to welfare, what we see is Reba on the couch in her jimmy jammies, in a little robe, eating junk food and watching daytime TV to signify that because she's been, she's gone on welfare, she's given up. And she is now becoming lazy and resigned to her fate. It has made her exactly what everybody believes it will make her. And in comes Brock, the audacity heart, and Barbara Jean walking up into her living room. Again, no knocking, no warning. Just walk up into her living room. And they lose their absolute mind when they find out Reba has gone on to food stamps. You are not going to believe this. We were just down at the market. And they said that the kids were buying food with food stamps. Well, they won't let them buy lottery tickets. <laughs> Wait a minute, you mean it's true? Oh my gosh, they're on the dole. <laughs> it's Shine and Van's way of helping out. What you don't know about them is they're go-getters. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, first a baby and now this? We are on a slippery slope here, Reba. Slope to where, Brock? I think we done slid down. <laughs> Yeah, well, no kid of mine is going to be on assistance. You got to tell them to get off. Let us help. All right, Barbara Jean, that's enough. She doesn't need our help. This pathetic robe creature sitting on the couch is not who Reba is. And one day, she's going to snap out of it and do what the Reba I know would do. She's going to go out there and demand the job she knows she deserves. Barbara Jean starts, like, praying, fainting, is aghast that Reba would dare take help from the state. And when I tell you, my friends, what Brock does next, I swear to God that it took everything in me to not just fucking frisbee my laptop out of the window. So what happens here is that Barbara Jean is like, hey, you should give Reba some money because this is fucked up. And yeah, Barbara Jean, you're right. It is fucked up because this man should be supporting her. Is he not paying child support? Because this man should owe so much money in child support, so much money in spousal support. So my only guess is that he's not fucking doing it because they repeat over and over again that like Barbara Jean is maxing out his credit card. So I have to believe he's not paying his support. So this deadbeat motherfucker, this deadbeat motherfucker steps up into Reba's house. Barbara Jean says, give her money. He gets his checkbook out. He's about to write a check and he goes, well, wait. Wait a second. I can't just give you money. That would be a handout. I can't just give you money. And from what I've seen, you're very bad with money. Look at the situation you have gotten yourself in, Reba. Look at the situation you've gotten yourself in, Reba. I can't just give you money. So here's what we're going to do instead, Reba. You're going to go march down there and try to get the job. That doesn't happen. He comes back and he says, You know what, Reba? Why don't you work for me in my dental practice? Why don't you come be my receptionist and replace Barbara Jean, who is now, I'm now having her be the stay-at-home wife and mother. And why don't you come work at my dental practice with me? And that is the happy ending we conclude this episode on. What? She quits, I believe, the next episode. Yeah, she literally does. <laughs> like It like opens with her quitting work if i were just like watching reba like as it was on and i was watching like a new episode of reba 
just like in the middle of the episode, either Barbara Jean or Reba just like were to pull out a desert eagle and shoot Brock in the fucking face. I it wouldn't face me. Be like, yeah, that that track. well deserved, well deserved. It would have been like, as far as I'm concerned, you could make Goodbye Earl into Goodbye Brock, and the the music video would not need to be changed at all. It's the same fucking <laughs> thing. Fucking Brock. Reba is currently taking care of his children. Managed his household flawlessly for decades. In the eyes of the state, I don't think that Cheyenne and Van would be considered like Brock's problem anymore. They're over 18. So, okay. There are two children that Reba is still taking care of. And so when he says, wait, I don't want... I I don't want to give you a handout. Not a fucking handout. She raises your goddamn children. Trying to feed your children. It is literally like she talks about in the episode, like, how am I going to feed these kids food? And Brock is over here like, I don't know if I should give you money. What? <laughs> Why don't you dance for me first? Literally. And so Ugh. instead of that, I am just going to like exploit the position you're in. And make you come work with me again, the person who inflicted the worst trauma of your life, the person you loved and trusted who was running around on you, got someone that you hired at the dental practice pregnant. And you're now telling her that the only way to fix her problem, because you don't think she's good with money, is for her to come and work for you? What? So that your new wife can stay at home and take care of her children. Literally, Barbara Jean becomes Reba's nanny. So, okay, it's just, think about this. Think about the internal mind palace of Brock. He wants for his child with uh, Barbara Jean, he wants for that child to have a full-time mother because of all the attention and like individualized care that a child could get in that situation with a stay-at-home mother. Great. You have two other children that you are, he is a dentist. He's a well-to-do dentist. And he is choosing to force his ex-wife to have to go into the workplace so that his new wife can be a stay-at-home mother. It's so, it's so fucked. Brock is literally the worst, worst Brock character. had to die. Na, 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 na. <laughs> Goodbye, Brock. <laughs> <laughs> literally oh my god the show is clearly aware that brock's like a piece of shit character but they don't do nearly enough Mm-mm. to like Mm-mm. the universe does not punish him enough yeah yeah yeah. That, that's the thing that he is always still on top however like he might get some like uh individual like comeuppances here and there but he is still on the top and is essentially yeah. yeah, it breaks the the central rule of like you can have a shitty character on a sitcom who is a bad person, but the universe has to punish them. And here the uni- the universe is not punishing Brock. He's fine, and that's too fucking real. Yeah, like in Night Court, Dan Fielding when he acts up, uh, the writers like stare at the page and like, okay, he's like sexually harassed like five women, so we are going to have him. Uh, like fall into a pothole full of mud. 
And that's how we're going to cap the episode. It's just, they will literally do that. <laughs> like, uh, with just to balance the cosmic uh, spreadsheet, we are going to do a bad thing to Dan Fielding in that court. Um, do all the time. Basil Faulty, uh, he's an asshole, but he, his whole life is miserable. So it, it makes sense. The, the writers just are not interested in doing anything to make Brock pay for any of his crimes. Yeah. It is, I, I don't know of another show that is this willing to just like, let it ride. Just <laughs> Brock can do what he wants. Just the, the black depths of this man's soul of, and you know, he, he's not even gay. I thought he was gay. So. <laughs> <laughs> you thought he was just like, Torturing a string of women on his his path to understanding his true identity. Yeah, maybe it was maybe one of the things that subconsciously I was uh, not hating Brock as much as <laughs> I do now is well, he does have to live the life of a closeted homosexual in Texas, so <laughs> maybe that balances the spreadsheet a little bit. But nope. It would nope. give way more of a reason for Barbara Jean and Reba to like be friends. They can commiserate about the man who inflicted the exact same trauma to both of them. I can't believe it. That's not real. It, it blows my fucking mind. You know um, what I think it was? You know, pitch it for the reboot. Yeah. Brock, Brock comes out of his gate. It would be perfect. Oh my God. Get somebody, get this to Reba. <laughs> <laughs> Besides just the sheer exploitation of the situations that you see here. It, it, it really like Brock is the most egregious one, but just like the idea, even with Kate and Allie, where this man is able to thrive and like still live his old lifestyle unencumbered because he decided to switch women essentially. And so she has to be the one to like struggle to raise his children. She is still providing a service completely uncompensated um, and has to, now figure out how to not only provide that service, but also go out and provide a service to someone else to make money, uh, money that he has. Oh, it makes me so angry. Okay. Um, yeah, but like, don't you know that like a mother, a mother does her work because she loves her family, Zach. So yeah. it makes it not work because she loves them, Zach. It's such a staple on like daytime reality television to uh it's essentially like one of the main themes of daytime reality television is to act as like propaganda against like uh alimony or like child support it is just they really they hammer that home so much on like mm -hmm. judge judy and these other judge shows of like these bad moms that are like exaggerating the costs of like piano lessons or whatever for the poor man who's just trying to get by and has to pay for two lives that he brought into this world. These shows, I think that they are, obviously they're sort of on the other end of like their messages. I think they are very sympathetic to the argument that there, there is injustice mm -hmm. happening here. Reba is way too zen about the situation, way I have too to zen. say. Way um, too zen. But also, fuck yeah, Lupe, for getting the memo early, mm -hmm. getting her own career. But I also think, like, and I want to speak to that just, like, very quickly before we move on, is, like, 
not only is that like getting the memo and listening to your foremothers, but also the reality that like coming from an immigrant family and coming from a minority family, like those are a class of women who've never really gotten to be seen in the public eye as a stay-at-home mother class, right? And it is uh, th- those are communities who often always had to work because of the economic su- the economic necessity of their social station. Right. So it's not like Rita Moreno's character, Lupe's grandmother, was just like a stay at home mom either. Right. She always had to work because they were immigrants who had to bust their ass because they didn't have the comforts that Ali or Reba had prior to their divorce. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is much more realistic to all populations. And so that it's pretty rare. Homemakers are rare now. And so when you talk about like, and even uh, then though, for the the class of that that Lupe comes from is the point I'm trying to make. Right, absolutely. But um, continue. I'm sorry to interrupt. But I just think that that is the reality for any population at this point. hundred uh, percent. It is like having a stay at home spouse is very much like a, a class marker <laughs> that if you're able to make that happen, and at the same time, it's just a culturally expected for a woman to work now mm-hmm. that there's a little bit of a stigma against stay at home. Uh, mothers right so it's just it's just not very common Um, right which is why what's happening to Reba and Allie is egregious right it's it's terrible but it is not as much a narrative that is present today as it was when those shows were airing right I think they were speaking to that reality that was a little bit more prevalent a lot more divorces now look like Lupe than they look Mm -hmm. like Reba yeah this is true God, if somebody divorced looked like Reba, I'm so sorry. Just kill him. Kill Just him. Kill him. I promise that I will hang any jury that I end up on. <laughs> if you were in a Brock situation and you had to get out of it, don't worry. I'll hang the jury. We will be your alibi. <laughs> we will say you were with us. Yeah. You were on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So our other theme was expectations of motherhood and mm-hmm. like these sky high unobtainable goals or the standards of what a mother should be. Yes. Um, could you speak to that? Yeah, I, I, I can do my best. I will say upfront, I'm not a mother. I don't have children. I obviously like at, at the age I am know lots of people who are mothers. So I can't speak to this from like my own personal experience. I just wanted to throw that out there ahead of time. Zach, I don't think you can either. No mommy, Zach. Maybe if we talk about the expectations of of fatherhood someday. So I think it's fair to say that mothers are expected to be perfect in a lot of ways, right? They're supposed to provide the perfect answer to any of their child's questions. They're supposed to be there always. If your kid needs you for any reason at all, you need to be there. They're supposed to have a homemade dinner on the table every single evening. Healthy snacks abound, creative playtime, eliminate screen time, while also being able to self-fulfill them their own life and meet their own career goals, do all of the things and be all of the things for all of the people all of the time with no breaks ever. That's motherhood. Your house must be sparkling clean. Your kids must always be to the place on time. They must always be well-behaved. They must always, you know, attain educationally. You must always be well-dressed. You must also be thin. You must also be pretty. You must also be pleasant. And you must also like present the perfect family at all times. This is the pressure that's put on women. And you have to be able to do it alone, especially if you're a single mom. If you're married, especially, come on, let's talk about Reba and, and Allie. 
please. Their husbands weren't helping. So they were basically doing it alone. Here's the paycheck. Mm-hmm. You guys do it alone. Um, but still like for single mothers, like you're, you're still expected to do all those things alone and then also go like earn money in the labor market. Those are the expectations of being a mother. And I think our shows talk to these expectations in yeah. a few different ways. Uh, Reba probably the least, although I'm sure there there's some instances we could pull up. I mean, you're saying that the single mom who works two jobs, loves her kids and never stops, she says it the least. <laughs> Um, no, I think I think it's talking back to that the least. I think it's reinforcing it the most, but I don't think it's, it's challenging true, yeah, it yeah. as much as uh, Kate and Allie or as much as um, One Day at a Time does. I think One Day at a Time is our biggest challenger to this yeah. narrative because we see Lupe constantly confronting um not being the perfect mother and not living up to it and i think first and foremost like the thing that they center a lot with lupe as a mother is that she is a mother who's dealing with her own shit mm-hmm. um and they're destigmatizing that as like sometimes you you focus on yourself as a mother and your own like achievements and what you want to self actualize and like that is considered negative um and then i think for lupe it's one step further like she's not just that she's also dealing with mental illness and trying to to figure that out um and so i think she's confronting like the idea of needing to be the perfect mom and running up again time and time again of feeling like she's a failure because she does suffer from depression and anxiety yeah absolutely i i actually felt uh, a couple of these episodes that I watched for one day at a time, surprisingly, where it's exactly what you were talking about, where um, there was this one episode in particular where Lupe, they were really highlighting uh, all of the demands on her time and her energy. Mm -hmm. Lupe's mother's needs, her children, like her daughter needed like attention and like to be taken to a protest, I believe. Um, her son had something else, just all of these things clawing at her time. And she's still trying to deal with like school and like, and work. So she works and she has school and she is dealing with these three other people's uh, shit as well. And just like the exhaustion that she felt mm-hmm. and like the shame, the shame that she felt. Yeah. The pressure she had put able. on herself too yeah. there. Like she put a lot of pressure on herself to succeed in school and be able to meet all of those demands at the same time. And we see her coming unglued at the seams a little. Yeah. Lupe has um, an aging mother at home and she has two children at home. And I am not a mother. I do find myself in that situation. Uh, And caretaker for sure. Yeah. I, you would tell me if like, you feel like the societal pressure on you to be perfect is the same. I guess I would well, know. Well, I mean, so no, I so there is a limit to this comparison. But I I will say that I deeply empathize with like the shame of not being able to do everything that uh, you feel that you are morally obligated to do, mm-hmm. like to meet the needs of other people as a caretaker. And yes. just like you fit there are literally not enough hours in the day to do these, to do this, uh, fully felt that. And it was a very compassionate uh, message that they had about her needing to take care of herself. And I don't think you see that on TV all that often of uh, pushing back. But like, actually, you 
you need to take care of yourself. You cannot just pretend as though you don't have needs. Zach, is is this your way of saying that you need to cut back on the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Lupe didn't even have a podcast. (laughs) I have it harder. I we can cut back. <laughs> but yeah, so I really felt that and I appreciate its message because I don't <laughs> think you see that in sitcoms all that often. Right. <laughs> of uh this compassion for because like Riva and also when it's not relevant to the plot, Kate and Allie, they do not as often have it as like an ever-present thing mm-hmm. where it's a fucking drain. It is a lot to stay on top of all of these individual people's needs. Yeah. And so they explore that when she's like nearly failing school. Her family, essentially, uh, <laughs> she has a very healthy a- advice given to her by her therapist where she says, you need, you are exaggerating in your head how much these people need you and that if you just step back and let people deal with it themselves then they will um no this is a reba episode stop this is a reba episode no matter what i do i get the blame i should just let them fend for themselves for a change they'd fall flat on their face in five minutes oh they learn to take care of themselves fat chance well, you never know until you give it a shot. So what do I do? Nothing. Say again? Look, I know it's a scary concept, but try it. You're losing me. <laughs> take some time for yourself. Get a massage, go to a movie, t- take up a hobby. Can you just write me a prescription instead? Stop. Reba goes to the therapist? Work. Okay. No, um, in one day at a time, I do think the message is similar, though. So what you were stating is that Lupe is feeling overwhelmed and exhausted with school. And the core message is that you put these pressures to do all of these things on yourself. But the people who need you actually can step up here, too. Right. Yeah. You do not have to account for them. And I, I was conflicted about the end of this episode where... Lupe is feeling the stress about going back to college and she's not doing as well as she had hoped. The episode is season two, episode two schooled. She's not doing very well, thinking she's going to drop out. And at the end, her family's like, you know, if you want to quit, you can quit. It's fine. But she's like, hell yeah, I'm quitting. Yes, I'm outie. And she's really happy about it. And she's like, I can sleep in. I can have a relaxation, whatever. And then her mom walks up into her room at like 4.30 in the morning and is like, get up, get up. And so they get up and they're like, no, you're not quitting. You have to do this. But they're like, as a concession, like we will get our own shit together. Like you no longer have to do X, Y, and Z that was on your plate. Oh my God, you guys, you guys. Do you know what I'm going to do tomorrow morning? I'm going to sleep till 6.30 in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Get on! (laughs) It's 4.30 in the morning. I know, sweetheart. (laughs) Darling! What's happening? Don't you see? Okay, this is nice. What is this? 
we've decided you're staying in school. No. No. No, remember? I failed. I'm a quitter. It's fine. Stop. Lupita, after you went to bed last night, none of us could sleep. We realized we were being selfish. You didn't fail, Mom. You just can't do it alone. That's right. You know, you don't have to be a superwoman. There can only be one such woman in a family, and that is me. <laughs> so, we're all going to pitch in and help you make your dream come true. Yeah. I'll take out the trash, pack my own lunch. And I'm going to skip the queer women march against nukes to help you. And so, like, I'm conflicted about it because I thought, like, the idea of, like, you can, like, prioritize yourself and, like, take care of yourself and not do this thing uh, mm -hmm. was kind of good. But also, like, I'm willing to compromise here with the idea of, like, yes, we can take care of ourselves. But where it, like, doesn't sit well with me is how long did that last? Yeah. Like, so are they setting a table for her with, uh, like, orange juice and, like, all her study materials every day? Like, Exactly. What... How long did that last? Yeah, excellent point. I had the same reaction you did where about maybe three quarters of the way through, maybe even later than that, it seemed as though they were going to land on the beat of, okay, she's quitting school to prioritize her mental health. I was quite surprised at that because you do not normally see people embracing on television. You do not often get the message. It's okay to quote, give up if it means that you are like at this level where she was having like mental health issues. And I think that would be a very empathetic thing to do. Of like, you do not always have to live your life as though you are in the Reba McIntyre music video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you don't have to do that. You can, you can prioritize yourself and uh, take care of yourself. She was very happy in that scene. She, she felt very relaxed and very relieved. And I was happy for her. But uh, they pulled her back in and they took it in a more traditional direction of, no, we're not letting you, 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 you got to hustle. You got to struggle, which is also fine. It's just, you know, know your limits. But uh, I thought it was interestingly flirted yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, like I said, I'm super torn on, on how they ended it in terms of the messaging there. But I, I suppose I get it. Okay. There is a Reba episode with a, a similar theme where Reba is feeling overwhelmed about all the demands on her life, her two children, and then she has her older children as well. She has Cheyenne and Van living there. There's lots of demands on her time. She's feeling exhausted. And uh, so Reba goes to the family therapist that you see in the pilot awesome. and, and just using her as like a personal therapist. <laughs> And the therapist gives the advice that, hey, you are not capable of doing all of this. And so it is futile for you to torture yourself and shame yourself this way. So you need to take a step back. And I promise you, they will be able to um, take care of themselves. Like they will be able to step up if you allow them to mm -hmm. step up. And so uh, Reba... <laughs> takes this to uh, probably a very jarring and strange <laughs> extreme, <laughs> considering she does have two minors <laughs> in the house where she just like doesn't show up that evening for some reason, I forget what, <laughs> and just leaves them to like figure out how to feed themselves. And what they do is they just call Brock and Brock orders a pizza for. Him. I mean, 
Yeah, so they figured it out in that sense, I suppose. (laughs) It was the season one episode. Because Brock is the world's biggest piece of shit, I'm sure he noted that one down to tell CPS. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That one's definitely coming up in the next, like, court hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guarantee you Brock is one of those people that, like, even eight years after the divorce, still taking pictures of fucking everything. (laughs) Yeah. Just in case. (laughs) Yes. Okay. I mean, I take it all back that Reba doesn't have a conversation with this joke. She does. Yeah. Yeah, Also felt that one. That is good advice for anybody that is in a caretaker role that finds themselves feeling the pressure of doing things that are literally impossible to do. It is literally impossible to like coordinate, like getting everybody fed and also, and like also providing 100% just like spectacular emotional labor uh, for every individual that is under your roof. And also like uh, doing all these like extra special moments and things like you can do some of it, but no person can do all of it. And yeah. Uh, and then host a podcast on top of it. Yeah. And, and run so a like successful TikTok account on top of it. If sometimes like you need to give yourself permission to not make a list of Kate and Allie episodes to watch. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. That's healthy. And don't, don't tell your co-host that you're not going to do it either though. Make sure that you forgive yourself that too. That's called boundaries. (laughs) And you know what? She figured it out. She did. She got the message. (laughs) Uh, but yes, and then I think like the final show, Kate and Allie, I think that there's two ways that they talk back to this trope and all of the shows do it to kind of an extent. Um, so I'll talk about the first one and then I'll talk about the one that applies to all of them. The way that Kate and Allie do it is Allie also suffers from depression. Like we see not one, not two, like many episodes where like Allie can't like can't function and she is laid up in bed. And it is referenced by other characters that like she has this issue where like she will go into depression. They don't engage with it in the same way one day at a time does um, where it's like, oh, this is like a thing that like it's okay if you have to seek help and medication for it and work on it and like have to give things up to make it work. Um, They give the very 1980s message of just like try harder to overcome it because you can. You've been through worse, girly you can do it. Um, so they give that like very 1980s message. But I do think like we also see sort of Allie struggling with this pressure of being all things without having the support system um, of her husband's money that she used to have. So I would say that's one way Kate and Allie talk to this trope. The last way I think all three of these shows speak back at this trope, all three of them it takes a village. It takes an absolute okay. village to raise these children in all of these instances. There's not a single one of them that is actually truly doing it on their own. So Real. in Kate and Allie, like these two women literally move in together. They combine households because they offer each other a support system, right? They are taking turns, like caring for each other's children and stepping up in different ways and the kids are helping to care for each other right yeah so they it takes a village they fully just aren't single mothers like 
the, the support that they have is 100%. Each of them is 100% in it for the other. And the way that they talk to each other about like coordinating the care of their children or like getting dinner on the table, it is exactly like married people. Like, so they, they really, they're just not, they are fully supported. They have the love of their lives living with them. <laughs> um, it's true. It's true. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's like the way that society constructs the idea of family really puts a, uh, puts added and undue pressure on Kate and Allie, right? Because they cannot like legally combine their households. They suffer a lot. And even if like these, like, let's say these two women are not, they're not gay and want to be like married to each other. The fact that there's no way to like combine their households in any way that's like legally recognized, um, is just like a boundary of of what we define family as. And yeah. they actually bump up against this in Kate and Allie, where at one point their landlady work decides to charge them double rent because they're two different, they're two separate families living there in that same space. Um, so they decide to, to, to charge them or try to charge them double rent because we have this limitation of what family is. Uh, the funny twist on that episode, if you're curious, is Kate and Allie do pretend to be a lesbian couple for that episode. And then super twist, the landlady's gay. And she's like, work. Um, and so she doesn't charge them extra rent because she thinks <laughs> it's just like a lesbian commune. <laughs> I I love the, the super like neoliberal landlord <laughs> who is like, I am going to exploit you and double your rent because of like a loophole. But oh, wait, you're gay. I stand you, sister. <laughs> Never mind on that one. <laughs> because then, because like there's a romantic element to the relationship, they can qualify in this person's minus family. But when there yeah. is not a romantic relationship or a romantic element to the relationship, they no longer get the same qualification, even though nothing materially has really changed, except they're going to separate bedrooms at the end of the day. I have to imagine they don't show like, married life for Kate and Allie but I have to imagine that they they lead much more pleasant lives like 100% can you imagine being married to Charles I'd rather die they share the workload equally uh they fully respect each other and empathize with each, with each other and like share um, interests they don't belittle each other in any way like they're, they're living the good life Kate and Allie shouldn't be in this episode <laughs> <laughs> They were Sometimes we got to pay the bills, but they were a Zach suggestion. It was so everybody yeah. knows. Um, anyway, um, but in the the other shows, it also takes a village, right? And one day mm -hmm. at a time, it requires her her mother. Her mother provides childcare a lot for these kids, and she also works and brings in extra income. Uh, and there's also Schneider who like helps out as needed in the show too. Um, and in Reba, we've already talked about it. Reba would not be able to go and work for Brock if Barbara Jean weren't taking care of her children and helping to put dinner on the table. And so in no instance are any of our, our Uber moms out there alone, right? They're talking to this trope by like highlighting very clearly that it's an impossible feat to do it alone. I would like to possibly pop an asterisk on there for Reba. Because if Reba is in some kind of village, she is the town fool, like in the mud, 
<laughs> every every named character Stop. on every named character on this show is exploiting Reba. <laughs> yeah. And so like is she being supported? No. Everybody's just leeching off of this woman. <laughs> Rock asked her in one episode to sing at he and Barbara Jean's wedding. Don't you want him dead? Don't you want him dead? <laughs> the audacity. The audacity to ask Reba to this woman you just left high and dry. You ruined her life. You traumatized her. She no longer trusts men. Can you ask her, Reba McIntyre, to sing at your wedding? Die. Die, Brock. Die. I hate him. I dream of the day that I wake up and I turn on my computer and I look at the headlines for the day and it just says, the Reba reboot is just a 90 minute Brock snuff film. <laughs> Cause I like would bamboo watch it. shoots under the fingernails. Yeah. It's just, it was an interesting choice. They took the reboot in. They just do like a, a, a clockwork orange, like eyes open thing. And he has to watch all of Reba's music videos on repeat for like four days straight. So he can learn some fucking respect. Brock is also just the relationship between him and van in season one is so fucked up too. He's just like a little parasite latched onto Van. Like, what are you contributing to Van? It's like that weird thing. You see it on TV all the time. I have no relationship with football. I don't know if this is a thing that happens in real life, but it's like where these like middle-aged men characters are like hounding a teenage boy and like forcing them, pressuring them and like, I don't know, like mind-fucking these boys to like re- I almost said rehearse. This <laughs> <laughs> how little I'm so out of my depth. But uh, <laughs> like, you got to go to practice and you got to work out and you got to eat a certain uh, way. And like this middle-aged man just latching on to the boy and like- It's bizarre. To like vicariously experience glory through him. It's so weird. And it's so weird season one with Van and Brock uh, where he's like a father figure, but a father figure that is like, again, just fucking exploiting him it's for nuts. high school football. We thought you could only get pregnant one day a month. What? what? Yeah, so you can have sex like 30 times in a month and only get pregnant once, right? <laughs> the only reason you're alive is because you can play football. Have you told your parents? About what? <laughs> oh, oh, about that, no. We'll go home and tell them. I'm sure they'd like to know. We'll get together in the morning and figure this whole thing out. Sorry, coach. Shake it off, big game Saturday. I'm sorry, but what am I supposed to do? Quit school and stay home with you? No. Yes. What? That's exactly what you're gonna do. As long as Cheyenne's suspended, you stay home. No school and no football. No football? That's ridiculous. Pulling Van out of school isn't gonna make things fair for Cheyenne. Want a bet? Reba, the whole school is counting on him. There's no way the Wildcats can go all the way to state without Van. For high school football. Yeah. I mean, is death to Brock what we want to end the episode? If I were to sum up uh, my thoughts on this episode, it would be, I hope Brock dies in a fire. Mm. <laughs> I hope he gets eaten by sharks. I hope he gets stuck in quicksand. I hope he, that his parachute doesn't open. What I hope is that he goes out on a speedboat on a lake and then Reba's just like, standing <laughs> there. <laughs> and 
her full like Lawrence of Arabia moment. Uh, and uh, it just explodes. All right. Well, that was because it was on. I think we did it. I think we talked about single moms. This was great, though. I loved it. Thank you all for joining us. Please do all of the things we always ask, like share, subscribe. Uh, We read your comments if you're leaving comments on Apple Podcasts, and it makes our entire week if you say something nice about us. Uh, We'll talk about it for days on end. So thank you to everyone who's taking the time to to rate and review it really actually means a lot to us thanks for those who sent in emails i love getting emails at because it was on at gmail.com they make me happy one thing to note tiktok's in a precarious place right now we all know that um find us there follow us there but also follow us on instagram we're at because it was on we will put all our reels up there too so check us out there too it's it's important to us right now. It's a scary place uh, for content creators. Yeah, um, we built our entire podcast off of marketing on TikTok and we've done very well by that strategy. So we have no fucking idea what we are going to do uh, if TikTok goes under. So please follow us on Instagram and just like weirdly bring us up and share us in like any social situation you're in. So <laughs> It would be awesome. It would mean a lot to us. All right. Did we do it? We did it. We talked about the sitcom moms, the single moms uh, who work two jobs. Love their kids. Love their kids and never, never stop. stop. With gentle hands and the heart of a fighter. Because it was on. Survivors. Because it was, because it was on. Um, okay. it was on. Cool. Death to Brock. Goodbye. Because it was because it was on, because it was on, rate, review, and subscribe to, because it was on.